Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com, and today I want to do a teaching called Saul and David, A Tale of Two Kings. Saul and David, A Tale of Two Kings. Now, why I want to go here is I believe the Lord was showing me inspiration concerning these two, that they are just about the same as any other two that you compare in the Bible. What I mean by that is, now you know that the first man who was the son of God was Adam and his sister Sarah, as you can see, Adam failed the Lord because he sinned, but his sister Tara. So then you have um, later, you know, there comes Jesus Christ, who was the second Adam that did everything right. You know, when you look at these two, it's just so amazing how they can be compared to so many other people in the Bible. When you look at the fact that there was Cain and there was Abel, you know, one obeyed the Lord, the other one did not. When you look at the others, there is Jacob and Esau, there's Isaac and Ishmael. I mean, it just goes on and on. Jesus and Barabbas. And then lastly, you have Christ and you've got Antichrist, you know? So this tells you that there's the woman seed and there's the serpent seed, but this is a little more detailed than that. I wouldn't necessarily call Saul the serpent seed, but what I would say is Saul is an example of what not to do or what not to be. Saul started out good. He started out a good man. He started out doing some of the things that God wanted, but he was also someone that God had not chosen to lead. Now you got a lot of people in ministry today, a lot of people throughout the world today in churches that will pick people that God has never called to ministry. And when you see these things, you know, you really get an understanding of what it is to be called and what it is to not be. Because for those who weren't called, there's a ton of confusion around because you begin to wonder if they had ever heard from the Lord at all. And then there's the other who's anointed that no matter what you might try and do to get rid of this man of God, you may try and compromise him. You may try to move his heart from the Lord but you'll find that it is something that you cannot do simply because they are men of God. I'll tell you something funny about their names too. If you look at Saul, Saul means desired. Now someone could say, well, that could mean desired of the Lord, but you're gonna find that that wasn't the case. Saul was a king of the people. David was a king of the Lord. So Saul's name means to be desired. You and I desire lots of things that have nothing to do with God. And when we become born again, we begin to seek after those things that God wants. David's name means beloved, which we know if you read, uh, I believe it's uh, Ephesians chapter one, where it talks about acceptance in the beloved. What you want to be when you're born again is the beloved. You want God's favor. You want to be one with the Lord. 
because you see without his favor, without his grace, without his mercy, and definitely without his spirit, you and I can't be what God wants us to be. So one was desired, that's what his name means. The other means beloved. And what you're gonna find out in this teaching is it's gonna have so much significance to the lesson and how we ought to be as Christians. You know, this is even gonna talk about the type of men that women want to marry, that women wanna be with. This is gonna have a lot to do with, you know, the type of leadership that true people of God want in the churches as opposed to one that, you know, can't be trusted. So this is gonna be a good teaching. I think we're gonna get some understanding. We're gonna move forward in this. We're going to examine the lives of Saul and David, a tale of two kings. So I'm gonna pray real quick and we'll get right into this lesson as we examine their lives. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day, another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters that we have yet another day, that we may be partakers of your word, that we may be edified by your spirit, that we may choose life and not death. And I pray, Lord, that we invite the Holy Ghost, that you send him, Lord, that he comes upon this lesson and that he brings us into all truth and righteousness. And we pray, Lord, that no man's heart be heard in this teaching, that no flesh be glorified, but only the words that you bring, Lord Jesus, are the words that are necessary and conducive to the growth of your people. For you said, my words are spirit and they are life. So we just pray for an outpouring of your spirit. We pray that the eyes, the ears, the minds, and the hearts will be open and ready to receive you, that they may know that you are the Lord. And aside from you, Lord, we can do absolutely nothing. So we pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind the devil, that you cast him down, that you throw him out, that you keep him at bay, that your people may hear your words and truly desire you and walk with you. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so tonight that's what we're gonna be talking about, Saul and David, a tale of two kings. You know, and once you discover these two personalities, you got a great appreciation for people like David, his sister, daughter of the king. But you know, you have an appreciation for people like David and not like Saul. Because we've all known what it is, even in church or in ministry or even in the schoolyard, even at work, when you are surrounded by people like Saul, I mean, it literally grieves you at your conscience. Saul is that guy with a big mouth that talks about all the stuff that he can do. But when it comes time to produce, he can't deal. He's that guy that will sit there and tell you that he saw a movie knowing he didn't see it maybe bringing up things concerning the previews, but he can't walk it, he can't be it. But yet he's always got his head stuck up as he's some great one. 
So this is what you got to understand about personalities, that one was a doer and the other was just a big talker. He was a performer. He was someone that just had the image, a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. So this is what we're going to talk about. So let's get in. We're going to start first with Saul. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8. And let's begin at verse one as we examine these two kings. We may as well start with the bad one first because after all, God starts with the bad one and then he brings us the new one. We live the old life before we can receive the new life. We were sinners before we, be found, we, we found Jesus Christ. We were children of Adam before we became children of the Lord. So this is what we need to focus on tonight, okay? Saul and David. Let's begin at Saul first. And guys, please keep me in prayer because I'm running on really low fumes right now, but we trust in the Lord that his will will be done. And I'll tell you something funny too, as we're getting ready to get into this lesson, there's someone out there honking their horn senseless for no reason. Go figure, it's the devil and his minions trying to stop the lesson of the Lord. And I tell you, the devil is good at what he does. So look at 1 Samuel 8, guys. Let's look at verse 1. It passed when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. Okay, so it would be interesting, because I never looked up their names, but I'm sure they're not really significant here. All right, but let, let me just move on, because I get caught up in stuff like that. So look at verse three, it says, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. So as you can see, Saul's two sons, I mean, I saw Samuel's two sons. They're not righteous men. Now, you know that Samuel was a righteous man that served the Lord for years and years. Samuel was a young boy when he was anointed of the Lord. And now he's an old gray head man that continued to serve Israel and do right by God. So as you can see, his two sons are not walking in his ways. It says that they pervert judgment and they take bribes. So I imagine if they were pastors today, they would be Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, and T.D. Jakes. They would be loved of the people today. But you know, at this time in Israel, people have still had some goodness in them. So they did not like what, what uh, Samuel's two sons were doing. So it says in verse four, then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, behold, thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So the reason why the people are desiring to have a king and not deal with Samuel's two sons is because they put a bad name on being prophets. They made a bad name on being men of the Lord. And that's why when people try and tell me to curve my tongue concerning these false prophets out here, I won't do it. Because you see the filth that they're bringing, okay, into the world. And you got people that are supposedly Christians here in this trash. What's going to happen to the faith of these people when they get caught up? with all these lies. So I will not spare my tongue concerning them. I'm going to expose them for the devils that they really are because they love not the flock of God. If I've got to choose between the flock of a million people versus 
you know, uh, one or two individuals who are, who are warned repeatedly but don't want to come to the Lord, then I'm going to favor the people, okay? Because you need souls to be saved. And the Bible tells us, let, let the teachers among you be few because they will receive the greater condemnation. So for example, guys, if I'm teaching you guys lies, if I'm telling you things out of my heart that don't come from the Lord, that the Lord doesn't want you and I to know, then I will receive the greater damnation because I've led you guys away from the truth. That's why I stay in the Bible as much as I do, because a lot of people will just love to talk for 40 or 50 minutes or an hour or whatever, and just say what's on their heart. But you see, I, I like to bring the word into it constantly because these words are inspired scripture that come from God. And all we've got to do is understand them and live by them. Okay. But anyway, the point here is these guys no longer trust in the Lord. And you see, this is why it's important that we walk right and we live right concerning God, because if we can blaspheme the Lord, we can give God a bad name because we stamp the name of Jesus to us, that we are Christians and Christians mean like Christ. But these two guys are worried about self, they're worried about their bribes, they're worried about their lucre, they're, they're perverting judgment because of this, because they're greedy. The same thing that we have with prosperity preachers today. So anyway, it says, look at verse six, but the thing displeased Samuel when they had, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So as you can see, for them to reject Jesus has a lot to do with, you know, I mean, for them to reject uh, who Samuel put in place, you know, then they're not rejecting Samuel, they're rejecting the Lord. That's why, that's what the Bible truly means about touch not God's anointed and do his prophets no harm. He's talking about real men and men that were called of God, not the people that you see in office today, not the people you see doing the things they do, but using the name of Jesus. This has all to do with who God had chosen, called, and sent to preach his word and to do his gospel. Okay, so the Lord says that they have rejected him and not Samuel. Look at verse eight. According to all the works which they have done since that day, I mean, or since the day that they brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do also, so do they also unto thee. So the Lord is examining Israel and saying, you know what? I don't remember a time where you guys ever obeyed me. All you've ever done was turn against me. All you've ever done was put other gods in place of me. So, you know, these people could have easily said, Lord, we don't like who Samuel has chosen. Can you give us someone else? Can you pick someone else, Lord, that will be righteous before you because of what these men are doing? But these men had all together given up on the Lord and they had chosen a king over them. For Israel at this time, when there were no kings, this is the beginning of the books of Kings. First Samuel and second Samuel are actually the first and second book of Kings. Uh, you know, uh, what we call as the book of Kings and the second book of Kings today is really the third and fourth book. But the point is, is for the people to do this, 
to ask for a king was a great insult unto the Lord because the Lord was their king. The Lord will govern what they do. The Lord told them how to live and how to be. So the very fact that these people are not just asking for someone else to be in their place or be in Samuel's son's place, these guys are asking for a king. That's a low blow to the Lord, okay? Because Jesus Christ, even way back when, as the Lord, was the king over Israel. So anyway, he says in verse nine, he says, now therefore hearken unto their voice, how be it, yet protest solemnly unto them and shew them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So the Lord says, okay, nevertheless, guys, just give them what they want. But Samuel, I want you to do this. I want you to solemnly speak to the people and tell them their error of the type of person that's going to rule in God's place and, and see if they would want him. Why did God do this instead of just saying, look, let me tell you something. Who I choose is who it's gonna be. And I dare you to come up against me. That's not the God we serve because you see our God gives every single believer and unbeliever a free will to choose him with all their heart or to go against him. God does not override your free will. So this is important that we get an understanding of this because you know, God wants them to choose him, but God can't override what's in your heart. He can only present you with the truth. So it says in verse 10, and Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. So as you can see right away, these people are going to be servants, okay, of the new king. And it says, put them to his work, not to God's work. Why is this important? Because you see, a lot of people today will choose even pastors this way that won't lead people to Jesus. These people will lead you to themselves. So as you can see, selflessness is of God, it's of Jesus Christ. It's the life he lived and the example that he presented. But selfishness is a type of antichrist because all the antichrist cares about is self, okay? All right, brother Randy, uh, Tara's husband, welcome brother. So you see, this is the point here that, you know, selfishness is of the antichrist, selflessness, is of God. All right, we got a husband and wife in this one. Praise the Lord. So look at verse uh so look at verse 12 and it says and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariot. So guys, listen to this and understand this. All you have heard of the new king that's going to rule over Israel is this, his, 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 his. It's kind of like the five I wills of Satan when you look at, remember, um, I think it's uh, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. Remember when it says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And he says that Lucifer would say in his heart, that I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of the Most High. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation of the sides of the north. I will uh, put my uh, throne above the heights of the clouds or something like that. I will be like the Most High. So as you can see, this king that they would bring forward, even though God would allow him to be chosen, is a self-willed man. And a self-willed man and a man with his own ambitions can't be a man used of God because he's got his own will. So look at verse 13, and he will take your daughters to be his confectionaries. What are confectionaries? They are those who make ointment and perfumes. So he's gonna make them his maids and to be his cooks and his bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them and give them to his servants. He will take the, he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. So guys, look at this. Now, you know, when you hear about the tenth, now Melchizedek allowed Abraham to do this because Abraham was worshiping the Lord. Today, you and I hear a lot about a tenth today too. It's called your tithe. You wanna know the interesting thing about the tithe is this. It was an Old Testament agricultural law where people were to give a tenth of their goods and other things to uh, feed the priest because the priests themselves did not have land where they could, uh, what do you call it? They could have their own crops, okay? They did not have their own land. So they had to give a tenth unto the priest that they may have. I'm not speaking against offering today, but you see a lot of pastors in the New Testament today have made the tithe a law. And they will even bring an Old Testament scripture, which is Malachi uh, 3 in verse 10, where it talks about, will a man rob God? I'm sure everyone listening has heard this. There's nothing wrong with being a cheerful giver because the Bible tells us we are not to give grudgingly nor of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver, okay? So we can give cheerfully. You may give more than 10%, but you see, you got these pastors like Creflo Dollar and all these guys telling you, if you don't pay your tithes, you will go to hell or you should go to hell. When today's tithe in the New Testament is just this, Romans 12, one and two. Now we beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is the only tithe today that exists. If you wanna give cheerfully, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but you're not commanded to give a specific amount as in a law. Because you see, when you talk about love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness and temperance, the Bible tells you for such, there is no law. There's no law to govern the spirit of giving or love or any of these things that God operates through. So as you can see, Saul is using the 10th to meet his needs and he's gonna take the fields of these people and give them to his servants. What about the people of God that are serving you? So you see, this is a very different spirit than what God was dealing with before. So let's look at this and look at, uh, 
Look at verse 16 and it says, and he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will, he will take a tenth of your sheep and ye shall uh, be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which, shall, which ye shall have chosen you and the Lord will not hear you in that day. So when Saul's name is desired, we know for a fact that he was desired of the people. Now, how many of us know that those who are desiring the people and those who are desiring God are two different types of people? God's desires and man's desires have never been on track together, except those who would obey and yield themselves to the Lord. So God is telling them about their king so that they may get an understanding of their king. <laughs> you know, God is trying to tell them, guys, if this is what you want, you're not gonna like this. You're better off choosing the Lord. So anyway, he says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey uh, the voice of Samuel and they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So what were they looking for? They were looking for someone else to be responsible over them and not just be people of God that God can be, that they have to have accountability to him. This is why people don't like ministries like this because we tell you to get full of Jesus Christ. Don't look unto me, don't look unto a pastor, you know, get what you can for you in the Lord that you may grow to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. You see, people don't like that. They want, if anything goes wrong, it's the pastor's fault because they have no relationship with God. So this is about accountability. These people wanted someone else to fight their battles, someone to rule over them. And, and the worst part of this all is in verse 20, it says that they desire to be as the other nations. That's like the church of God desiring to be like the world. And you find that today. And when you do that, look at the type of pastors and leaderships and rulers that the people have over them that care not for the flock. Now, hold where you are, guys, because we're going to get back to this. But I want to show you something in Jeremiah, I believe, chapter 2. And I believe it's in verse 15. So let's uh, hold where you are. Go to Jeremiah chapter two, if that's where I am. And look at verse 15. No, that's not it. Okay, so I think it's Jeremiah chapter three. Let's go to three. And let's look at verse 14. Jeremiah three and 14. It says, turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord for I am married unto you, and I will take um, you uh, one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So we can slip back over, but I wanna make the point here that God gives us pastors according to his heart, not self-will, not desiring of the world, not looking for a flock to meet his needs, and not those who won't push you into knowing Jesus Christ yourself. So this is one of the dangers concerning this King Saul. So let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and let's begin 
at, uh, where was I? I think I stopped at 14. No, I'm past that. Uh, they believe it's in verse 20. So let's read verse 20 again. It says that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go ye every man unto his city. So as you can see, God is long suffering. This broke God's heart. Not that he didn't know it wasn't gonna happen, but you know, a lot of us may be in relationships we know are gonna break up. But the bottom line is, you know, it doesn't make your heart feel any more at ease when it comes to pass. You know, these are things that God is concerned for because he knew that this guy Saul would never be the man that he would have chosen. But this is whom the people had wanted. Now we're gonna get into the life of Saul when he was anointed, what he was about, what God is looking for him to do. And this is where we're gonna dig in. This is where we're gonna get it going. So let's go right next door to 1 Samuel chapter nine, and we are going to begin at verse one. This is a little something about the back line or the, the, uh, the background of Saul. It says, now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of uh, Becherath, the son of Aphiah, uh, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a, a choice young man and a goodly, and a goodly, and there was uh, not among the a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So Saul was a tall, probably good-looking man that came from a rich family that had all these different things about him. So naturally, you can say that Saul was a king of the flesh. Naturally, you would have chosen him because of his looks, because of his background. His dad is rich. He comes from nobility. So you would look at a man like that. If you're a fleshly person, man, that's who we need. He's, he's big and tall, so obviously he's tough. This is who we need. This is the kind of man that we need to have. But as you can see, you know, what's in the carnal never measures up to what's in the spiritual. You find a lot of people that are big, strong, run their mouths, think that they're tough and all this other stuff. But when it comes down to it, most of them don't amount to a hill of beans. So you see, there were things about Saul that was desired that, that the people would want. But this is a fleshly kind of king. So I'm just giving you a little background on him. Let's go to First uh, Samuel chapter 10. And we're gonna look at where Samuel anoints Saul. And we're gonna look at the directions that were given. And we're gonna find many times that Saul did not follow. Why? Because he was a weak leader with his own ambitions. Kind of like Adam. If you look at the life of Adam, Adam was given dominion over the earth. Adam was the son of God. God told Adam to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. But when it came down to it, Adam hearkened unto the voice of his wife and not unto God. And because of that, you and I are living with that curse today. Though we may be born again, though we may have eternal life through Jesus Christ, if we stay saved, but we still got an issue with having to die. That's just a part of us now when we were made to live forever. Because you know why? 
Adam was thinking of himself and Adam was thinking of his wife. We're gonna get a glimpse tonight of Christ who is selfless and Antichrist who is selfish. Thank you, Jesus. So this is 1 Samuel 10, guys. Look at verse one. And it says, then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's supplicator in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say unto thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorrow with for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet of thee three men going up to God to Bethel, Bethel means house of God, uh, one carrying three kids and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines? And it shall come to pass when thou art come uh, there to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with the psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and thou shalt turn into another man. So he promises Saul that if you take the, um, you know, if you follow my directions, that, you know, these three men will come upon you prophesied, you're going to meet these people and you are going to meet the needs, okay, of God and you will be as another man. So basically, Saul, with this anointing, if you follow God, you're going to be born again. So it says in verse seven, and let it be with these sons are come unto thee that thou do as occasion serve thee for God is with thee and thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings seven days. Thou shalt tarry till I come to thee and shew thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart and all those sons came to pass that day. And when, he, and when they came thither to the hill, Behold, a company of prophets met him and the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. So it seems like Samuel's, I mean, Saul is doing right. He listened to Samuel. He met every need. Man, he's a man of God. He's got a different heart and he's serving the Lord. Okay, now remember, it's never how you begin. It's how you end. A lot of people came into this thing strong. A lot of us came into this thing on fire serving the Lord. Well, let's see Samuel's first test when he has to deal and Saul gave him, Samuel gave him um, in verse eight, you know, instruction, Saul, wait till I come because I'm gonna make that sacrifice and you're gonna be victorious over your enemies. 
So let's skip down to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13. And let's look at verse one. This is Saul's first trial of doing what God told him to do. First Samuel 13, look at verse one. It says, Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash, and the Mount Bethel and a thousand were with Jonathan and Gibeah of, of Benjamin and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba of Geba and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say, that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also uh, was had in abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is, one, which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal and the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. So as you can see, these people lost faith because they said, well, Samuel's supposed to come the seventh day, but he didn't come. So the people ran off like, well, God is not with us. The Philistines have got you mean a powerful army where they're looking to crush the people of God. So this looks like an impossible situation. And once again, guys, before I turned this thing on, there was nobody outside playing. But now that I'm teaching, you got people outside making as much noise as possible to try and distract. You know, you gotta love God and you gotta laugh at the devil because this is how he operates. So look at verse nine and it says, and Saul says, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. So this is in direct opposition to what God told him to do. Uh, hey, brother, uh, Charles Merchant, welcome. So you see, this is something that God didn't tell him to do. Now, yes, Samuel said he would come in seven days. Now, you know, I like to use numbers. Seven is a mark of the spirit. But even though seven is a mark of the spirit and God told him that Samuel would come, Saul is not by any means a priest. He's not a Levite. It's not up to him to make an offering unto God. That's not his job. And he was to tarry until, as the Bible told, as Jesus told his disciples, tarry until you be endued with power from on high. But as you can see, Samuel took matters in his hands. He didn't rely on the Lord. And you know, this is something God knows about each and every one of us. God will tell you, Terry, 
God will tell you he will do things, but God wants every single person that is of God to exercise a little patience, a little faith. Let's just wait. Let's just wait upon me to see what I will do. But see, God knew after seven days, just barely on the seventh day, you know, that Saul went ahead. He didn't tarry and he did not inquire of the Lord. So this is not a man that would follow God. This is a man with his own ambitions that wanted to do his own things. So look at verse 10. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, uh, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me uh, to Gilgal and I have not made supplication unto the Lord I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. So Saul wasn't relying on the Lord. Saul was relying on the people that were with him. When they scattered, there went his faith. And then when he saw his army, he judged according to the flesh how many he would have to fight. Just like the children of Israel when they were trying to get into the land of milk and honey, how big those giants were. And because they saw the giants as big, the giants also saw them as grasshoppers in their sight. Guys, this is so important because you see any man that fears the Lord is not gonna fear man. But you see, Saul's trust was in the flesh. It wasn't in the living God. So look at verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Now, um, For now, uh, would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast kept, thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So what we understand here is a beautiful thing, because this can take your mind right back to Genesis chapter three. When, saw, when, uh, when uh, Adam failed, the Lord told the serpent, I would put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and, I will, and he will bruise thy head or crush thy head, and thou will bruise his heel. What I'm saying with that is this. Samuel um, just told Saul, you know what? You blew it. God was going to trust in you, just like God was going to trust in Adam. But when Saul failed, then the Lord had plan B. I'm going to bring my own son to crush the head of the serpent. Samuel is saying here, man, it's too late, Saul. You might still be king, but God has chosen someone after his own heart. He's found a man. So everything you do from this point on, Saul, is a moot point. You see, and this is what we must understand concerning God. If we've got a heart after the Lord, we will serve the Lord. But if we've got a heart after the flesh or after men, we can't serve God. So, hey, brother, uh, uh, sister, uh, Heather and Gary, welcome, guys. Good to see you. Oh, good to, you know, I can't see you, but I'm glad you're on. But as you can see, the Lord is done with Samuel, and for the, I mean, Saul, and for the sake of time, we've got to move on. Now, let's, if you think this is bad, watch how bad it actually gets. 
Let's go to 1 Samuel 15 and let's begin at verse one. As Samuel is still allowing Saul to be king, but the king that God has in store that will follow his heart is still on his way. Just like they did in the Old Testament, they waited for the king, which was Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews to liberate them. All right, 1 Samuel 15, let's look at verse one. It says, Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. So what is the Lord telling him? All right, we're going to try this again. You know, you're still king, but let's try this again. Now, hearken unto my words, Saul. Look at verse two. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that he have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, some people can say, man, is the Lord this angry? That is that right to kill man, woman and animal? If I mean, man, woman and child? I want you guys to understand something so you can use this when people try and use this scripture on you. We're not talking about human beings here, okay? We're talking about the Nephilim tribes, which the Amalekites were, which meant dweller in the valley that used to fight against the children of Israel. These are giant tribes, okay? Or of the seed of the giants that fight against Israel. So God wanted them eradicated. This is the same way God wants you and I to be. He wants all your sin taken away. God don't want you being half in the world, half with him, loving the world and loving him. You know, being a fornicator, a liar, a thief, a gambler, a homosexual, you name it, being any of those things and then calling yourself a Christian. Those two don't go together. You've got to forsake the old life so that you can become the new man, which is in Christ Jesus. So look at verse four and Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into lamb, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye shewed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So the Kenites didn't have anything to do with this. You can consider the Kenites a kind of like a you and I in the world where God wants to destroy all sinners, but God through his grace has given you a chance. Hey, depart from the devil and his minions. Give your life to the Lord and move forward. Get out of the way because they're gonna be destroyed. So it says in verse seven, and Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto, until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. And But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused that they, uh, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, 
It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and have not performed my commandments and it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. Now, what did Saul do that was not righteous? God told Saul to make sure that you destroyed all of your enemies and do not bring back anything from them. But Saul kept the king of the Amalekites as a trophy and brought the offerings and brought the, the livestock of the Amalekites to God, brought the best because he wanted to sacrifice them to God. You see how in our disobedience, when we do things concerning works and we don't obey God, this gets us in trouble. This is where we've got to be careful. Hey, Tim. Hey, brother Tim. How are you, my brother? So anyway, he says, look at verse um, 11 of verse 12. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, set him, I mean, he uh, set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gigel. And Samuel told, uh, came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Saul is believing in his heart that he performed the commandments of the Lord. This is funny. And Samuel said, What meanest then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So Samuel is saying, Okay, Saul, if you have kept okay, everything that God says to do, then why is it that, you know, um, if you have done this, then why do I hear sheep and oxen making noise in the background, okay? And look at uh, verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed? Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of, the Amalek, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So as you can see, Saul has got a hearing problem. And this is the problem with people that won't obey God. They don't have hearing hearts. They're not sensitive enough to the spirit. God can't lay burden upon them because they can't bear it. Because all they can see is their ambition aside from the will of God. So let's look at this in verse 21. He says, but the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen of the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So one thing we understand that Saul is saying here, hey, I did obey the Lord. I just didn't, I didn't take those sheep. 
the people took them because they thought they would be a good idea. You know who this sounds like? The first one to rule this earth who was Adam, the first son of God. What did Adam say? Oh, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she's at fault for all this stuff. But you see, I didn't do it. But then the Lord would have to ask Adam, did not I make you head of this earth? So what are you doing obeying her? This is the sign of a weak leader. It's got nothing to do with a man not being able to take advice from his wife. This is when it comes down to a final godly decision, who's in charge to make that decision. Guys, this separates the weak from the strong. Look at verse 22. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So Samuel is asking Saul, since when are offerings to God more important than obeying God? You know, the church can learn a lot concerning this if we took these words to heart. Do you think performing for God is more important than knowing the Lord thy God and obeying him? You can't cook up enough works, okay, within you to gain God's favor other than obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. He didn't ask you to feel it. He didn't ask you to, you know, work for him. He said, if you love me, obey what I tell you to do. Hey, sister, beautiful, beloved, long time no hear from. So he says in verse 23, for rebellion, Saul, is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Guys, this is so important because he says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and iniquity or stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So God wants obedience. God don't care about your performance. What good is our obedience to the Lord if we can't obey the Lord? This is what we must know and we must understand. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. An obedient child is a happy child. It's a child that God loves and God can work through. But let's find out why Saul did this. Look at verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. What does the Bible tell you in Proverbs? The fear of man brings a snare. When you fear man, he will snare you. This is why we've got to have the fear of the Lord, which the Bible says is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. So look at verse 25. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, but thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go away. He laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. So as you can see, the Holy Ghost doesn't play games and he doesn't waste time. 
If he can't find a willing vessel that will obey him, that will walk in his ways, God can simply take your anointing and place it on another. You don't want that, guys. You want to obey God and do what God says. Look at verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. So God's not gonna repent of what he's gonna do to Saul. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then said Samuel, bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. So this King Agag, who was originally supposed to be destroyed, you know, is now thinking, now that Saul has spared my life, and you guys have had this little argument, certainly you're not mad anymore, right? You're gonna give me a break and I get to survive this. Let's see, look at verse 33. And Samuel says, as thy sword, I have made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. You see, men of God don't play. If God wants your enemies destroyed, God will destroy them. Now you know that everything done in the physical in the Old Testament is spiritual in the new. That's why when God makes us born again and he fills us with his spirit, God is looking to destroy his enemies. God is looking for us to become offensive, to break down strongholds, to preach the gospel, to save souls that they may turn on the devil with that same intensity and love in Christ to see other people saved. So look at verse uh, verse 34, then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Bible even tell us it repented God that he made man because man went crazy and became sinful and would not obey the Lord. But as you can see, God is serious about what he says. What we just read, guys, is an example of not just a weak man, but a weak leader. He's an example of a weak pastor. He's a weak husband. He's a weak individual that wants to be a man, but knows not God. Any man that will not serve God is a weak and foolish man. In order to truly be men of God, we might be men, but you see, we won't function like men if we don't have the spirit. I mentioned last night when we talk about cars, a car is a car without gas, but it's not going to function like a car without the gas. That's how you and I need Jesus Christ. That's how we need the Holy Spirit that he is the blood that flows through us, that we can bring forth life, okay? So this, is an, this was the example of Saul in his life. This guy was a failure. He feared the people, he was a leader of the people, he wouldn't obey God, and he was an outright coward. Now we're gonna go into the life of David, who was the beloved. See, Saul might've been desired, but he wasn't the beloved, because Saul was desired of men but David was the beloved of God. God chose David. David didn't choose himself and the people didn't choose David. So you see God's choice and man's choice, two separate places. 
two separate kings, two separate wills, two separate men. Now let's move on to David. We don't have to go any further, but the next chapter, which is 1 Samuel 16, and let's begin at verse one. Don't you love the word of God, guys? It's so good. It endures through time. And man, you just feel so refreshed when you hear the word of God. What does my sister say? Amen. A man after God's heart. What does brother Gary say? Weak and deceived above all. And you said it best because that's the leadership today that God wants to do away with that we can be in line with the Lord. So look at 1 Samuel 16, look at verse one. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So God is back to business, man. Forget about Saul. He had his time. He blew it. Now let's move on with my plan. Look at verse two. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take and heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will shew thee what thou shalt do and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled sorry, at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come uh, that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Eliab was like another soul. This guy looked good. He was probably big, powerful, you know, good looking. So, you know, Samuel assumed, well, this has got to be another man. This is a kind of soul. But look at verse seven. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on his height or, or of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, but man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So God is looking at the heart, man. He ain't looking at your good looks because God knows that your good looks and your physical prowess won't amount to a hill of beans when it comes time to do something spiritual. Look at verse eight. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made Shema to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, or hear all thy children. And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So notice that David was the youngest of his brethren. Why is that important? Because Jesus was the last of the true kings. If you look at uh, Samson, not Samson, 
if you look at um, what are the two, the first two uh, born after uh, Adam. If you look at Adam and Jesus, you've got Adam. He was the first of failure. You've got Jesus, who was the second. You've got Cain and you've got Abel. You've got Ishmael, a man of the flesh. You've got Isaac, the youngest, a child of the promise. You've got Esau, who was the older, who would serve the younger. So you see how this goes? You and I are sinners from birth. We live sinful lives. We know not Christ. But the second life of the born again believer is the younger and the elder will serve the younger because the younger is God's purpose, God's will, God's man, God's favor. Don't let that shoot by you. So anyway, he says in verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. And withal, like kind of reddish, I guess being out in the sun, and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. So, as you can see, he's on the outside of the family. David wasn't even a consideration. David was overlooked. He probably wasn't even that tall. But God says, That's my man. And you know what? We're going to find out why David was so beloved, because you're gonna find some of that personality of David is very much like Christ. So he says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. So God allowed that spirit to fall on Saul because Saul wouldn't obey the Lord anyway. God didn't have an evil spirit. God allowed the, the evil to go on him because that's what Saul truly wanted. He didn't want the Lord. He had his own ambitions. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an heart. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and plain and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and comely and a, and a comely person and the Lord is with him. So notice how David is described. It says he's a cunning player. So in other words, he that winneth souls is wise. David is someone that's very skilled that God's gonna use, okay? And I'm not trying to put my own words. I want you guys to understand. And a mighty valiant man. So this is a man whose trust is in God, who doesn't fear man. This is a man that loves God and notice he was a shepherd boy and it says he's a man of war. You don't think God can use them? We've just become so lovesick today with how much love we can hear about the love of Jesus that we got all these punk preachers in the pulpit preaching their love and the Lord loves you, brother. And you know, you see, if we just love our neighbor, man, God needs men of war too. David was a man that loved and served the people, but God needs men of war, 
Why? Because the devil is an adversary that walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So God needs his warriors too. Jesus might've come the first time as a lamb, but when Jesus Christ comes back, he will be lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's gonna clean up the mess for good. So anyway, David played for Saul. Oh, look at verse 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. So you're gonna find out that David played for him here and the evil spirit departed from Saul, but it doesn't matter. God's favor is on David. David is the anointed. This is who God's gonna choose. Now Saul is still king, but God's going to use David, who is the beloved, who is the anointed of God, and who's, who's a man after God's own heart. So let's look at 1 Samuel 17. You're gonna look at what the anointed looks like, and you're gonna look at one without the anointed. That is just a man. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Samuel 17, look at verse one. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shechem, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shechem and Azekah in a festament. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose name was, I mean, whose height was six cubits and a span. Notice, as I've mentioned before, Goliath's height is six cubits and a span. You know that seven is a number for God or of the spirit. So Goliath didn't quite yet make it. So this kind of reminds you, if he's six cubits tall and a half, this is kind of like six, 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 guys. This is just how, when the Bible mentions in Revelation 13, that those who will have the name of the beast or the number of his name or the mark, he said, here is wisdom. Uh, let him who have wisdom count the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man and his number is 600, three score, and six. So we've got to get to the place of getting past the Antichrist and finding our home in Christ. But you see, this is the devil's champion. This is who the devil brought up. Okay, you want to fight against my Philistines? I'm going to bring you a giant almost 11 or 12 feet tall, and you guys are going to have to fight against him, okay, if you want the victory this day. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. What is brass? Brass is a type of flesh, okay? So this man was a fleshly thinker. He had the mind of a man. And it says upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail and his weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. So this man was covered in brass, covered in the flesh. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs. He even walked in the flesh and a target of brass between his shoulders. His heart was even in the flesh. This would have been his breastplate of righteousness or unrighteousness. Look at verse seven. 
and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye uh, come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine, and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. So as you guys can see here, Goliath is even recognizing, you know, my people have dealt with men of God before. If these are men of God, they're certainly not acting like it because they're afraid of the devil. They're afraid of the world. They're afraid of me. God's people should be out here fighting because after all, I'm his enemy. So anyway, he says, um, and he's, uh, verse nine, he says, if ye be able to fight with me and kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him, I will kill him and ye be our servants and serve us. So let's look at this too. I promise guys, we're gonna make the point. But Goliath is this individual that says, hey, if I win this battle, your people will serve me. But if I lose this battle to you, then we will serve you. Guys, this is the world, the flesh, and the devil speaking to you. If we're born again believers in Christ, you know we've got to become overcomers. Seven times he said to seven churches that they must overcome to reap the benefits of the Lord. Now, if you and I, since this Goliath is covered in flesh, if you and I overcome the flesh, then the flesh will be subject to the spirit. But if the flesh overcomes you, we will be subject to the flesh. Okay, this is important. So anyway, he says, uh, let's see, verse 10. And the Philistine says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Israel wasn't just afraid of this Philistine, so was Saul. Saul reminds you of a man of the world that's not gonna fight the flesh. He's not gonna fight the world. He's going to be subject to it. He's going to be afraid of it. He's not going to conquer it like Jesus Christ did. He's going to bow the knee to it and serve it. So Saul and the men of Saul were afraid. Look at verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons and a man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the next was Abinadab and the third Shema. These were the three men that Samuel had passed up and he anointed uh, David. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Don't let that shoot by you. David is the youngest, but the three oldest sons, they followed Saul, okay? They were followers of Saul. They were not followers of God. So let's understand this. They are following the one without the anointing. Verse 15, but David went and returned from Saul uh, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. So this Philistine, which is Goliath, 
is presenting himself before the people of God 40 days. This is kind of reminiscent of Jesus Christ who subdued his flesh in the wilderness 40 days. You see how the flesh is presenting himself or this Goliath to the people of God 40 days telling them, yeah, fight me, fight me, fight me, fight me. I dare you. I dare you to speak up. I dare you to become a man of God. I dare you to represent God day after day. This is what the Philistine did. And Jesus subdued his flesh in 40 days. Now, this is something to think about. I'm not putting my own spin on it, guys. This is revelation of the spirit. This is not me. Look at verse 17. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look now thy and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. So the Lord told David who was with his father, guys, don't let this shoot by you because this is gonna be similarities of David and the Lord. David had so many similarities with the Lord. David was the king of the Jews, so was the Lord. So is the Lord, I should say. David was born in Bethlehem, so was Jesus. David was of the tribe of Judah, so is Jesus. David is with his father here being told, take your pledge. I mean, or, or go down to the battle, see how your men are faring, see how they're doing in the battle and take their pledge. So God meant, or, or Jesse meant for David, not just to be a bystander, but to take your pledge and join the army. How did Jesus Christ do this? The father sent the son into the world that we might all be saved of Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord wanted to do. He sent them into the world. And how did Jesus take our pledge? He came in the flesh as a man, fashioned himself as a man and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, so that God would highly exalt him and gave Jesus a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You guys are gonna see that play out right here with David. Okay, hopefully I'm not losing you guys. Hopefully you're understanding what I'm saying because with all we get, we should have understanding. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistine. This is verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as their house was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. Now notice, David rose up early in the morning. Did not Jesus Christ rise up early in the morning and left the sheep with who? A keeper. Understand this. Who is the keeper for us? The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, who Jesus Christ would send, and he would speak of Jesus Christ. So this is just so important. Look, and it says a keeper, so he's a nameless servant. He didn't name himself. The, the comforter came to speak of Jesus, not of himself. Look at verse 20. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, a Goliath, 
uh, by name out of the armies uh, of the um, of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. An interesting thing about Goliath is his name means splendor, okay? So splendor is kind of like pomp, extravagance, you know, glamour, kind of like everything that the world is. Geth means wine press. Now this is important because he's splendor from the wine press. How is this stuff familiar with, with what we got to deal with in the gospel? The Bible tells us in Revelation 14 that God is going to tread over this world. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to tread over the wine press, trample it, okay? As if it never even, like grapes in the wine press, God is gonna destroy this world when Jesus Christ comes back. All right, I gotta stop stopping, I gotta get to the point. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, have ye seen this man? that is come up surely to defy Israel? Uh, is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So notice they're afraid, but they said the man that overcomes this Philistine, if you overcome the world, the flesh and the devil, you and I are gonna get the riches of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Man, the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, Christ in you, who is the hope of glory that will make us fruitful and do the things of the Lord. So anyway, and he says, look at verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to this man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? But who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. So another thing you see about the man of God, who was David, who has the anointing, who is chosen of God, he's looking at this Philistine as an uncircumcised Philistine. Man, this guy's a dog. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is seeing this guy as, man, this guy's unworthy not just to even speak against the God of the Bible, but he should be bowing the knee. So he's turning to Israel, he's turning to Saul, he's turning to all these weak believers. And he's saying, man, why haven't we gone over and cut this man's head off yet? We're talking about our, the Lord our God in that way. Why haven't we just gone and dealt with this guy for him defying the Lord? And David is a warrior. So look at verse 27, and the people answered him, after this man is saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness and thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So David's brother, who was a follower of Saul, not of the living God, is angry with David, calling David proud. Who are you, the youngest, to come up here and make such statements? I know your pride, David. Shouldn't you be going back with the sheep? You see, this is how people will treat you because people ask me all the time, who are you to proclaim the gospel? 
Do you have a seminary education? Who were you educated by? How do you know these things? This is exactly what they said to Jesus. By who giving you the authority to say these things? And Jesus said, let me ask you one question. Okay, the, the, the uh, ministry of, of John the Baptist, was it of the Lord or was it of men? And the Pharisees began to think within themselves and say, if we say it was of God or from heaven, Jesus will ask, why didn't we believe? But if we say it came from men, we might get you know, persecuted by the people because the people will say that John was a prophet. So they said, oh, well, we can't tell. And Jesus said, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. And we have to answer to no man but to Christ. Yes, he gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists that were very influential in my life. And I praise God for them. But I don't owe man anything but to honor man, give honor to whom we give honor. But I am to love him and I am to focus on the living God. David had a relationship with the Lord. That's why he's not kissing up to Saul. He's ready to get on with the battle because he's looking at the blasphemy of this Philistine against his God. You see the difference? Anyway, so he says in verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? So David is seeing the cause. This man is blaspheming my God. This world is blaspheming our God. The homosexuals are taking over the education system. The homosexuals are running wild. They're telling you that you can have, you know, men being with men and women with women. And they're daring you to speak up in the workplace about Jesus Christ, okay, or about what the Bible says. You see what's going on? Is there not a cause? You see the perspective of the man of God that will preach without fear? that is connected to the Lord compared to the man that feared the people and is now fearing his own destiny to do battle with the flesh. You see the difference here between one king that was chosen of the people and the other king who was chosen by God. They're two different people. Look at verse 30. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed it before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. So David's faith was telling, David is telling the king, fear not king, I will go and do battle with this Philistine. Was David concerned for self? No, David was concerned for the people of God. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, but thou art but a youth, but he a man of war from his youth. You see, this is why Goliath is a type of antichrist because Revelation 13 says, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And all those that would marvel unto the beast were those whose names were not written in the book of life, slain from the foundation of the world. So as you can see, those whose names are written in the book of life, they see the Philistine as he is. But Saul is telling David, hey man, this guy has been a warrior since he was a kid. I don't think you can deal with him. So you see, Saul has no faith. That's why God was sick of dealing with him and gave up on him in the first place to find this young man who would walk 
and do what God told him to do. So look at verse 34, and David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flood. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. So David's got a testimony of his own. You may know about the biography of Goliath, Saul, but I'm here to tell you something of what the Lord has done in me. The only reason you're afraid, Saul, is because I know the Lord and you do not. David said, man, when I was a keeper of the sheep, there came a lion and a bear. And what did he do? He came and tried to snatch my sheep and run away with them in his mouth. He says, I ran after that lion or the bear or both when they attempted to do it. And he said, I smote him on the head and made him drop that sheep. And when the lion or bear or both turned around with fierce anger and rose up against David, you know how a lion will lunge and charge at you. And you know how a bear will stand up on all two when he comes to deliver a fatal blow. But David is here standing in the midst of his own life, grabbed that bear and lion by the beard and smote him and slew him. So David's faith and David's testimony of God is different because David walked with the Lord. Time for the punks to go. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, man, be there for Christ. So he says, look at uh, verse 36, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. So David said, man, I don't care about who Goliath is. All I know is he talked about my God. So what I gotta do now is I gotta put this chump in his place. Some people may think what I'm preaching is not love. Oh, I'm preaching love. But you see, God goes through the earth, going to and fro, looking for those who will obey him that will meet the needs of the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. We need more men to stand up. We need more men to be head of their homes. We need more men to proclaim the gospel. We need more young boys to look at more men of God and see that's the example that I'm supposed to be. God made his men tough, all right? Yeah, we got the love of Jesus and we've got the grace of the Lord in our hearts. And a man's strength is in his gentleness, no doubt, because he honors his wife as the weaker vessel. But make no doubt, God's men are also men of war. Look at verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with the coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon him, upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not yet proved it, or he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them, and David put them on. So what do we understand about David? David knew the weapons of my warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. David said, I'm not wearing your armor. I wear your armor and your head of brass. You want me to have a mind of the flesh? Man, I'm putting that mess off. David walked in the armor of the Lord, the full armor of God. 
So I don't want to go, you know, further. They began talking trash to one another. David picked up five smooth stones, not just for Goliath, but people don't know this. Goliath had four brothers. And David had, he wasn't expecting to miss. That's another thing. He had faith in God. But see, this tells you something about a true king, a man of God. He loves his people. So the Philistine charged at David. David, you know, went right back at him. And David uh, threw that sling. And he took that stone. And that stone hit Goliath where? Right between the eyes. In the mind. Okay? And that's where he destroyed uh, Goliath and cut off his head. And Israel and God wrought a great victory that day. Why? Because his trust was in God. It was not in men. Hey, Uncle O, his trust was not in men, but in the living God. And so will every father, every husband, every true man that wants to serve the Lord, that wants to be anointed and chosen of the Lord. So let's go to 1 Samuel 18. We're going to look at some interaction here. We're going to see something, and then we're going to look at what David did, okay? I want to get this point. Uh, one second, guys. I just want to bring up a point. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to waste the time to go there. In your spare time, guys, go to – no, actually, let's go there. 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own. Who was Jonathan? Jonathan is Saul's son, because David became, you know, Saul gave him all these things. But Saul always knew it was his destiny that David would become king. So that's what made him eventually not like David and became very jealous of him. Look at verse 2. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his, as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war. And he had accepted uh, in the sight of all the people, and he was accepted in his sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So at this point, Saul loves David, okay, because David helped win a war for Israel. So look at verse 6, and it came to pass, as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabernacles with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So, you know, these, these women are, you know, praising David and, you know, and, and Saul. Hey, Saul has slain his thousands but David, his 10,000s. So they're given, you know, and what was said was actually true. David was a greater warrior than Saul. I mean, you know, Saul knew that and everybody in Israel knew that. Well, let's see what happens here. And Saul was very wroth 
and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David 10,000 and unto me, they have ascribed but thousands. And what can I have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. So, you know, you know, Saul had a jealous streak on him against David because David was the beloved. Guys, you see a lot of this in church. And that's why I'm going to be honest with you. I can't stand Saul. I can't stand Saul's in ministry. I pray every day that there's no Saul living in me. I pray that I can serve the Lord and love my brethren as the Lord calls me to, because you know why? A soul will sit in the midst and plan your demise. He's a Judas Iscariot. He couldn't walk it. He didn't believe it enough to live it. So what did he do? He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Sometimes you should see when the anointing may be on people in ministry and things are going on and people may say, hey, brother, preach. Or people may say, hey, glory in the Lord that this person had hands laid on him and that demon was cast out or that crippled man can now walk. Praise the Lord that an altar call was made and people were ready to serve Jesus. But what do you see? You see some people kicking back. See, if I don't say nothing at this point, they're going to look at me like I'm stupid. And see, I can see the, the credit that they're giving him, I should have. Hey, man, the credit that you want that you should have, you can have. Your problem is you don't see the Lord for what he has for you, and you envy others, which are the works of the flesh. I can't, do you know what? A jealous man is a weak man. He's a punk. He's a coward. He can't see anybody else have because he's such a wimp within. He doesn't want it to be revealed what's in his own heart, what kind of individual he truly is. So what does he do? He's got to cut down this man over here because of what God is giving. And the weak man needs to go. Adam is also an image of that individual because the moment Adam fell, he took the fruit from Eve and you know what he did? He blamed her like a coward. He was supposed to have dominion, but he blamed her for his outcome. I mean, is anything more pathetic than being a, a parent or a big brother and, and your little brother got you into trouble and you go before your parents saying, he had some too. What would the Lord say to you? Aren't you the elder? Did I not put you in charge? But you see, this soul spirit is an antichrist spirit. He hates his brethren because he can't face the coward that he is, because he's not man enough to go to God and obey God. He's got to cut you down and remain lazy so that the people will look at him. Man, what a loser. Lord, forgive me, guys, I'm not mad, but I can't stand a spirit that goes against God. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're not going there, guys, but I want you to look at this, how um, David, uh, did something wrong too. Jonathan and Saul betrayed David, but you see David himself uh, went out and betrayed another guy, Uriah the Hittite. David in second, um, second uh, uh, Samuel chapter 11, David looked at another man's wife and David began to desire her. So much so that David said, you know, I want you to take Uriah the Hittite after I've already slept with his wife and I want you to take him 
and I want you to put him with his wife. Take him off the battlefield, put him with me, and sleep with her because David found out that Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife, is pregnant. So David did something sneaky and underhanded and tried to get Uriah to sleep with his wife, but Uriah was fiercely loyal to David. He said, man, the Ark of the Covenant is out there. We're at battle. How can I find myself, David, relaxing from the war with my wife when I'm supposed to be out there on the battle fighting for Israel and the presence of God? You see, Uriah himself was a man of God that was fiercely loyal to David. So what did David do? Knowing that he would get caught up, knowing that he would be brought in a place of unforgiveness, I mean, or knowing that he would do a, a wicked deed and that he himself was wrong. What David did was he put Uriah the Hittite on the front lines. He sent a letter to his man, Joab, telling them that when Uriah's on the front lines and you guys approach that wall of our enemies, I want the army to back off, to leave Uriah on his own and let Uriah die because Uriah wouldn't go and be with his wife to clear me and my filth, you know? So I, he's got to die so that I can now marry his wife. David did this, David did some wickedness. Now, some of you may ask, how could David be a man of God? You know, and, and in 2 Samuel chapter 12, what ended up happening too was uh, God sent Nathan the prophet to come and expose David and his sin. You know, Nathan told David all of his wrong and all the wickedness that David had done and David repented, but the child that that um, that uh, Bathsheba was pregnant with David's child, uh, that baby had to be, you know, that baby died and never came forward. But from that moment, David married Bathsheba, and you know he was still king. God still loved him, but David repented of his sin because David hated what he had truly done. And you know, you guys may look down on David right now, but I want you to see something. David himself is one that once he sinned, he never repeated the same sins. How many of us can say that? David was still called. He was still loved. Look at the sins you and I have in our lives that we have yet to fess up to. Think about the Lord. Think about what David did. Don't count them out yet. Let's go to Psalm 51 and let's look at the prayer of David because he sinned before the Lord. Proverbs, I mean, not Proverbs, Psalm 51, guys. And let's look at verse one. Let's look at how sorry David truly was. Psalm 51, let's look at verse one. It says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. Excuse me. According to thy loving kindness, According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. So what we understand about David is, he wasn't excusing himself. You see what I'm saying? He wasn't excusing himself. David said, Lord, I know I'm wrong. I should have confessed these things. You can rightly judge me, Lord, because against you and you only have our sin. He didn't deny it. Look at verse five. 
Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. The inward parts of the man's soul, but the hidden parts of the spirit of God where man connects with God. So David is saying, Lord, if you get me there again, I will know your wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How many of us are asking God to create in us a new heart and that God may give us a right spirit to renew us? He says, cast me not away from your presence, Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David said, Lord, if you ever make me right, from all the sins I committed, from all the wrong that I have done in your sight. He says, Lord, he says, restore the joy unto thy, I mean, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He says, then will I teach transgressors their ways and sinners will be converted unto you, Lord. So Lord, clean me and use me. Clean me and use me if you ever, Give me the favor that you had ever given me before in my life. Clean me and use me. Praise ye the Lord. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. He says, O God, thy God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So David knew the sacrifices, the true sacrifices of God are these, a broken and contrite heart, God won't despise. You know what our problem is? And you know what Saul's problem was? We're too proud. We come before God with expectancy, like he owes us something, when really we should be coming broken and contrite before the Lord, because aside from him, we can do nothing. Verse 18 says, do, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of the Jerusalem. He says, then shall thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shalt thou offer bullocks upon thine altar. So David was truly sorry, but David had a price to pay for this. So before you look down on David, you know, I'm gonna just explain to you, you guys can continue from 2 Samuel 12 all the way up to, you know, 17, 18, 19, and 21. But after that, you know, David had something struck on his life, which was a curse. Uh, Nathan the prophet told David, because he did this wickedness, that the sword would never depart from his house. So what happened to David? Man, his son Amnon raped his daughter Tamar because he desired her. His son Absalom ended up killing his son Amnon. Then you had um, Absalom eventually became of age 
and wanted to take the throne from David and threatened David's life, made it all the way to the throne, wanted to kill David for his possession. But what did Absalom do? You know, he chased David from his home. Now, David's mighty men wanted to kill Absalom, but David said no. He knew that that sin was upon him and God wasn't wrong for what he had done. Then there were people mocking David as David was going up the mountain, the rough side of the mountain, by the way. There were people saying, yeah, good for you. This was a relative of Saul that came to David. Good for you. I'm glad you're getting it. I'm glad your son ran you out. Finally, the Lord has avenged Israel from all your wickedness, David. And David's man, Joab, or one of his mighty men said, Lord, oh, David, why are we sitting here watching this guy mock you? Should not one of us go over there and take his head off for speaking to the king like that? And David turned to that mighty man and said, what have I to do with you? What God proclaims is God's righteousness and God can't be wrong. He says, let me alone to deal with what I need to deal with because God is right. How many of us could say that if that was you? David loved the Lord. There was no doubt about that. He had a few falls. He had things happen to him. But you know what? He repented and came back strong. And after that, outside of Jesus Christ or after Jesus, he was the most beloved king of Israel because he truly was a man after God's own heart. Let's look at this. I'm gonna give a couple of examples of David tonight and then I will close. But in your spare time, read uh, 1 Chronicles 12, 17 through 39, because it's gonna talk about how David's mighty men loved him so much that they were all in rank waiting to do David's will, to fight for David at the time that Saul wasn't ready to give up the crown. And what they, they only had one goal in mind, they all loved the Lord and they did not break ranks because their main assignment was to make David the king. And you see, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be like today. Our job as Christians is to make Jesus Christ the king. And nothing, no job, no money, no wife, no husband, no children, no anything that we can have in this world should stop us from crowning Jesus Christ king. Because after all, he is, and no one can take that from him. And second, if we truly believe on Jesus Christ, then our goal should be focused on crowning Jesus the king. But it says that all of the men of David had a perfect heart, and they were single of heart, and they had one desire to make David the king. That shows you how beloved David truly was in Israel. Look at 2 Samuel 8, guys, and look at verse 15. I just want to make a couple of points. I love David too. Yeah, what David did was wrong. But you see, if we look at David's sin, we got to look at our own. So thank God for his glory and his righteousness and his goodness and his mercy, which endures forever. So look at uh, 2 Samuel 8, look at verse 15. It says, and David reigned over all Israel and David executed judgment and justice unto the people. I want to um, get to the most remarkable thing that David did that the Lord loved, okay? And then I want to make another example. Matter of fact, let's go to 2 Samuel 24, and let's look at verse 18. 2 Samuel 24, and look at verse 18. Thank you, Jesus. 
All right. It seems like the Lord held back time. You know how many teachings I've done where I'm trying to push the information out and it seems like time was just rolling? Look at this time. It felt like we went in this for five, six hours. But you see, when God has something to say to his people, you lose track of time because your mind does transcend time and space. Why? Because the spirit of God wants you to not lose focus and get everything that God has for you. Look at 2 Samuel 24 and verse 18. And Gad, who was a prophet, came that day to David and said unto him, he said, go up a rear uh, an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Arona looked and saw the king and his servants coming on towards him. And Arona went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arona said, wherefore is my Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said to buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arona said unto David, let my Lord the king take, um, take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arana as the king uh, give unto the king, as the king give unto the king. And Arana said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. So David's offer was accepted. You know why? Because David obeyed the Lord. You see, his offering was different than Saul's because David obeyed what God told him to do. So it says in verse 24, and the king said to Arana, nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. So look at what an obedient person can give the Lord and look at how the Lord was glorified. This was after David's sin. This was after all the wrong that David did, but David was called of the Lord and he was chosen and David truly had a heart after the Lord. Last scripture of the night, let's go to, because we're gonna talk about the warrior that David was. You know, David was a man that fought with his men. David became an old man that fought with his men. And guess what? David was right there in the midst with his men. David was a true warrior. David loved the Lord. David never thought about self. Peter didn't think about self. You know, Saul or Paul didn't think about self. John didn't think about self. Jesus didn't think about self. They were selfless to the will of God that you and I may reap the benefits of God. Last scripture of the night, guys, let's go to uh, 2 Samuel 21. Second Samuel 21, and let's look at verse 15. 
Second Samuel 21 and verse 15, it says, moreover the Philistines uh, had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistine and David waxed fat. And Abish and uh, Ishbibonah, <laughs> uh, which was the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass and weight, he being girded, uh, with a new sword, uh, thought uh, thought to uh, have slain David. So these are the giants. You see, so the Philistines had giants. This guy was a relative of Goliath that wanted to get revenge for Goliath and try and slew David, tried to kill David. David was an old man at this point. Look at verse uh, 17. But Abisha, the son of Zeruiah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Man, that is beautiful. David's mighty men, David was probably fighting with the giant, maybe got knocked down. The giant got ready to slew David. If you look up David's mighty man, Abishai, this man was no joke. This man, I think he killed like 300 with his own spear in battle or 800 men. I mean, this was a mighty man, but he loved David. And he, and you see, this is what Jesus wants around him. Mighty men, mighty men of valor. That doesn't just mean men, he needs women too. But men are the foundation. You see, God gave men the authority. So God wants men that are willing to battle, men that are willing to fight for their families, men that are willing to stand in the face of unrighteousness, and proclaim Jesus Christ. So look at what they said again. I've got to read this. All right. So it says, look at verse 17. But Abisha, the son of Zeruiah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. They called David the light of Israel how Jesus was proclaimed and we know that he is the light of the world. So you see, Saul was nothing like God, nothing like Jesus. He was who the people desired. But you see, David was everything like Jesus. David came from humble ghetto backgrounds because Bethlehem was a ghetto. And so did Jesus Christ, a, a dry root or a tender plant and a dry root or, or a root out of a dry ground. Jesus came by humble means, but what did he do? He turned the world right side up. He saved the souls and he's willing to save any soul that wanna be saved today. So as you can see, one king was like Christ. The other was like Antichrist. This is the story of David and Goliath. This is the story of the saved and unsaved. This is the story of the saint and the sodomite. And this is the story of them who will believe on Jesus Christ versus those who will perish and go to hell. David, what a king he was. What a warrior, what a fighter, what a father, what a man, what a man of God. Praise ye the Lord for men like David because he was like Christ. And as men of God and as women of God, we ought to be also. So I you know that's the lesson for tonight, guys. You guys were expecting more. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but the bottom line is these were two kings and we need to be like David, who was like Christ. 
and not like the man of the world, the man who fears men, the man who cares about the world. So I just want to say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is still time. Repent of your sins. Admit to Jesus Christ. Throw yourself on the altar. Lord, I am a sinner. I need to be saved. I need to be made right in you. The sins that I've committed were against you. I make no excuses for them. But Lord, in your shed blood and me knowing that you are the only way, save my soul from a burning hell that I can live with you and glorify you as a man of valor, a man of God. Repent of your sins. Repentance means to turn from your sins. Walk away from them. Have no allegiance with them or anything to do with them. And then God will save your life. You will have the, uh, you know, you get baptized and you ask the Lord to be with him and the Lord will give you salvation. If we confess with our lips and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Lord, we will be saved. But you know, this is one of those things where we got to get baptized. We got to get into his word. We have to admit who we are so that we can be what Jesus Christ wants us to be. Okay, get baptized. And eventually when the Lord sees you're serious, he'll baptize you in the spirit and he's gonna use you because God intends to use every man or woman of God that want to be used of him in his army. So I just wanna say to people out there, I love you. You know, I may speak strong, but you gotta understand, I hate sin. I hate the devil. I hate what the devil has done to men and women. And I'm willing to fight at this stage of my life with every ounce in me to set the captives free, to bind the broken heart, to heal them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to open those prison houses that people may see and restore sight to the blind. Because this is not gonna be a work of Derek Hallett. This will be Christ in me that will do the works. Christ in you guys is the hope of glory. Don't model yourself after any man or be like anybody wants you to be. You've got to be what God calls you to be in accordance with his word, full of his spirit, willing to go out there and profess what he calls you to do. Because the will of God, those who do the will of God will abide forever. Let me pray out. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. Right now, Lord, we commit this time to you that your spirit may be upon us, that you may clean us from all unrighteousness, that you may open hearts, ears, eyes, and mouths, that we may proclaim your gospel, that you may live in us, Lord, that you may be in our hearts, that we may set captives free. And for all those who are in attendance tonight, Lord, show them their purpose, we pray and we ask. And Lord, we ask that you place a special anointing upon every single one of them, that they may desire you, that they may long for you, that they may need you, Lord, because we know that we all do. But let us forsake the world. Let us forsake the flesh. Let us forsake the devil and be true sons and daughters of Christ who you intend to use to be in your kingdom, Lord. So I just pray in Jesus' name, let all these things be done for those who are listening. My sister Tara and her husband, Randy, Lord, they have a sister and sister-in-law with cancer. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you pour out your spirit upon him. My brother, Michael Adams, has got multiple sclerosis, Lord. I pray that you lay your hands of healing upon him. 
I pray, Lord, for all those who have family members that are sick, those who are shut in, those who know not you, Lord. I pray for your spirit as the great physician that you come upon them, that you heal them, Lord, and that you get the glory. For the glory is totally yours, Lord. And this is what we must recognize if we truly want to be after you. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty, holy, and precious name we pray. Amen. So I just want to say to people out there, I love you. I thank Daughter of the King for coming on, Uncle Obvious, uh, Brother uh, Gary and Sister Heather, Sister Beautiful Beloved, my brother Timothy. Well, let's see who else is here. Uh, my brother Timothy, and I'm sure there were others that were on that didn't give their names, but you know, either way, the Lord bless you. Tomorrow night's teaching is actually going to be done by our sister Sarah, and it's going to be called The Spirit of the Pharisees, which should be a very good lesson because we know that our sister Sarah is also relying on the Spirit of God to give her revelation and understanding that we can present it to the people of God. So it should be a good teaching. That's going to air at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. And I just want to say to my brothers and sisters out there, I love you. Do not forsake your prayer closet. This is no time to go without God. Get on your face. Pray through for a breakthrough that God's anointing can be in your life. Because aside from Jesus Christ, we've got absolutely nothing. So I just want to say with that to my brothers and sisters and all those listening, near and far. I love you all. And until next time, at least tomorrow night, have a good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.